Hi everyone and welcome to the Tables Podcast. The Table is a church located in Davenport, Iowa, where people are moving from greed toward generosity, from violence toward peacemaking, from isolation toward neighborliness, and from fear toward faith. Today's podcast is Nicodemus. Uh, Pastor Rob discuss John chapter 3. Let's take a listen. It is wonderful to be with you on this beautiful Sunday afternoon. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John chapter 3. And, uh, you know, it's kind of an extended passage, and there are parts in here that you may recognize. So let's uh, open our hearts and open our minds and give a good listen. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe when I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this scripture features what may be the most well-known verse in the entire Bible. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. If you've heard only one Bible verse, it might be that one, right? It's probably not something from Habakkuk. Um, People sometimes forget, though, that this verse, John 3.16, is not just a sentence that, like, stands freely on its own. It's part of a story. It's part of a conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Now, people who have heard me preach a lot know that I am fond of saying, uh, fond of pointing out, 
that the Pharisees were not the enemies of Jesus. Uh, they are often portrayed as enemies, but it's, it's not really true. Um, the Pharisees did argue with Jesus a lot, and they often criticized him. Um, he criticized them too. Um, the Pharisees didn't like a lot of what Jesus said and did because they were convinced that a certain kind of religious living, this ultra-diligent, strict application of holy laws and codes, they, they really believed that this was the way that people could achieve God's favor and be delivered from the evils and the dangers of their time. So what we're really talking about is the Pharisees were, were concerned about the well-being of God's people, and they had in mind a way that people could be well. And in this way, they're really just like Jesus, right? But the thing is, they, they really, they did not understand uh, the way Jesus, you know, understood right living and, and the way Jesus thought about God. And, you know, at least not at the beginning, they didn't. Um, and as you know, things that you don't understand can sometimes feel threatening, right? And that's why the Pharisees come across as opposed to Jesus in many stories in the Gospels. But they weren't Jesus' enemies. They talked with Jesus. They engaged with Jesus. And, and they really wrestled with his teaching. They, they wanted to argue, right? They wanted to talk about it. They wanted to understand where Jesus was coming from. So we have a, and we, we have a story in the Gospel of Luke in, in which a Pharisee named Simon has Jesus come over to his house for dinner. And then in today's scripture, we have a Pharisee named Nicodemus who comes to speak with Jesus after he has witnessed Jesus drive corrupt business people out of the temple and also seen Jesus perform some unspecified miracles. So Nicodemus wants to talk. There is respect, there is appreciation, there is curiosity. Now, when Jesus, when Nicodemus comes to speak with Jesus, he seeks Jesus out at night. And, and this raises a lot of questions for people. Why did he want to talk to Jesus at night? People love to speculate about this. Um, was Nicodemus um, trying to come in secret? He didn't want anybody to know that he was talking to Jesus. Was that maybe a scandalous thing for him? Um, he was a respected religious leader. Jesus was controversial. Did Nicodemus not want to be seen by anybody? Um, another theory or another idea that people have is, was Nicodemus maybe having some kind of crisis of his own faith? And he had this personal, long-held set of convictions that were being shaken up somehow in his life story, his life experience. And a private one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus is the only way that maybe he could even think about talking about the things that were going on inside of him. I mean, I can say for myself, if I had the chance to speak with Jesus in the flesh and ask him questions that came from the core of my being and sharing the most fundamental yearnings of my soul or the things that I wrestle with at the deepest level, frankly, I probably wouldn't want to do that in a big 
group of other people. Um, you know, I like people, but there are things that I'd love to talk to Jesus about when there was nobody else around. So did Nicodemus want to have a conversation at night alone because it was personal and private? We don't know why Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, um, but I, I do like to just imagine the scene and, I, and reflect on the fact that it, it was nighttime. It was dark when they were speaking to each other. And, and you know, in those days... <laughs> There was no light pollution, right? There was no easy way to produce light after dark. Um, you could have a lamp or a candle. Those things are very expensive, right? So it was dark when they were speaking. You have to wonder literally how Nicodemus found Jesus. And then as they spoke to each other, how well could they actually have seen one another as they were talking? You imagine them speaking in hushed tones because when it's dark, you, you speak softly. It was an intimate conversation and thereby there was no grandstanding, no pretense, no need to impress anybody. It was just the two of them. I love to picture this scene. Okay. And in this private space, Nicodemus is able to speak openly, um, speak with care, um, and speak from the heart. And what he says to Jesus is, um, Jesus, I've, I've seen what you do. And I've listened to the things that you are saying. And many of the things that you say are not like things that I've always heard. But I can tell that God is with you. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he starts out with a statement to Jesus about Jesus. Okay. But Jesus responds to him then by pointing beyond himself. Do you notice that? Um, Jesus doesn't respond to him by saying, hey, yeah, well, you know, yeah, sure. God is definitely with me. Um, I appreciate you saying that, Nicodemus. I always appreciate it when people recognize that God is with me. Now, that's not what Jesus says to him. Um, Jesus immediately changes the focus of their dialogue away from himself, at least ostensibly. Um, he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now, at first blush, we'll, this seems like a non sequitur. We'll see how he brings it all around um, in a second. Uh, but he says this thing about being born from above, and it's like, what? <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? Um, I can only assume that Jesus sensed in Nicodemus a kind of seeking and questioning spirit that this statement would resonate with, right? Jesus has a way of perceiving what's in people's heart when they come to speak to him, okay? And that's why I always sort of encourage people, like when you pray, right? Don't, don't worry about getting the words right, you know, because even in the act of coming to Jesus, right? He, 
he has a way of perceiving what's going on with you and what's in your heart okay so there's not a lot of pressure on you to get everything perfectly in the way that you articulate whatever you want to say to god right and to jesus okay he knows okay um so this this statement that jesus says like we can we sense that he knows that this is the right thing to say to nicodemus and it's a statement about being born anew okay being born anew uh, the birth <laughs> that we are all typically familiar with is right the inauguration of every life on earth infancy i just this morning i got a, an email with beautiful baby pictures of a dear friend of mine who just had her first child a couple of days ago right and uh and it's 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 a beautiful thing and we all know about babies being born okay and we don't we don't dwell on this fact but we also carry an awareness that this birth and this beginning is tethered to an ending right? hopefully a distant thing um, as babies grow up and grow old jesus says though that a person can see the kingdom of god when they are born in another way born from above nicodemus who i suspect did not think that this was what he was maybe coming to jesus to talk about right he gave, he gives a quizzical reply how how can one be born after growing old i mean this is a reasonable question to ask though jesus does appear to be a little bit like come on man you get this right but i i'm with nicodemus on this one like this is your the things that you're saying are a little strange right uh, but jesus invites nicodemus to consider the wind that's what he says he says you don't you don't know where it comes from or where it's going think about the wind he says biologically speaking a human life has a definite beginning in the womb in the birth in the first breath and it has a definite ending right when the heart ceases to beat but what if you could be born into a life that is like the wind you don't know where it is coming from or where it is going it reminds me of something that we talk about in the liturgy of wedding ceremonies uh, whenever i preside at somebody's wedding we have a point in in the in the ceremony in the service when we there is an exchange of rings we talk about uh, the love that a that a husband has for his wife wife for husband wife for wife husband for husband this love has its source in god's love for all people right and our love for our spouse is an imperfect imperfect always imperfect aspirational attempt to love like god loves fully compassionately patiently with strength and courage and perseverance mm -hmm. and we represent this love with uh, a ring yes here's my my wedding ring uh had it for 20 years the ring is like god's love it has no beginning and no end like the wind i guess 
Okay, this is the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus about being born into a life that is like the wind. And he becomes flummoxed, Nicodemus does, but, but he's able to hang in there with Jesus. Uh, like I said, because that whatever has driven him to come and, and engage in this conversation, that, that spirit, you know, is, is, is being fed and being challenged in the way he needs to be challenged uh, by the things that Jesus said, right? So maybe Nicodemus did not know exactly what they would be discussing when he came. But this is the spiritual and intellectual exploration kind of conversation that he is yearning for. And Jesus is speaking to somebody who is asking the crucial questions, even if they're, they're unarticulated. They're just flowing from his heart. So he's ready to have this discussion in the middle of the night. Jesus embodies in his own person a sense of broader possibility about the triumph of grace and goodwill in our time okay now it's easy back then it's easy now for people to get swept up in the excitement about Jesus as a change maker Jesus the revolutionary Jesus who's going to come in sweep in to this troubled and broken world right and fix things change things turn things around right we'd like to believe that because Jesus is so amazing right that he is going to do whatever needs to be done he's going to any minute right Jesus is going to make everything right and usher in a panacea. I don't know, right? But the, the, people get very excited about the idea of Jesus at, in some dramatic way, right? Turning things around, right? And that was true back then. That's true today. But it's also easy <laughs> then and now for people to be cynical and to disbelieve any notion of transformation or redemption. It's very easy to scoff at the power of Jesus, you know, and everything that Jesus represents, because so many people who represent justice and beauty and goodness and who talk about, you know, you know making a way out of no way, right, and turning the world to right, right, so many of these people turn out to be frauds or failures or seemingly failures. And so I think that Nicodemus comes to talk to Jesus because he feels some hope and some excitement in what Jesus embodies and in what he represents. But he also holds a healthy skepticism. I, I always encourage people uh, who are skeptical, <laughs> you know, in their faith, who, who hold doubts in their faith. This is not a sign of a lack of faith, right? This is, this is an important and healthy thing that we carry with us and we acknowledge and we own these, these doubts and these concerns and these nagging questions about what if none of this pans out, <laughs> right? Um, this is the kind of thinking 
And this is this is the kind of uh, spirit that Jesus comes to that Nicodemus comes to speak to Jesus with. Okay, it's a healthy skepticism because Jesus represents things that the world has trained us to believe aren't really possible: grace, healing, unconditional love, new life, even after death. Skepticism about these kinds of things is always reasonable, I would say. And so Jesus does something as, as they talk, as he's speaking with Nicodemus. Um, he decides to uh, reach back and make a connection with ancient wisdom or ancient stories, um, things that are going to really speak to Nicodemus in particular, uh, because he is a religious expert, right? So he knows everything about the faith tradition. And so Jesus, uh, then as he continues to speak to Nicodemus, he connects what he's saying about himself then to images and concepts from the long and rich faith tradition. Okay, he makes two references, actually, to very ancient stories. Um, the first reference that he makes is to a, a pretty obscure story, actually, from the book of Numbers uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, chapter 21, if you're curious, uh, Jesus says, uh, this is what he says in the Gospel of John. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, Nicodemus would have known what Jesus was talking about when he said this. A lot of people these days have never heard of this story that Jesus is referencing, but he's referring to an episode that happens after the Exodus, uh, when Moses has led the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt, but before they enter the promised land. So there is a story in which the people, God's collective of people are beset by a swarm of poisonous snakes yeah and the snakes are everywhere and they are attacking and terrorizing people it's actually kind of a freaky story uh, gives me the willies gives me the creeps um, and in this story Moses prays to God to save the people from all of these snakes and God gives Moses the power to create a bronze serpent and to raise it up on a pole in the center of the community. And the story goes that anybody who gets bitten by a snake can look upon the bronze serpent that Moses has erected, and they will not die of their wounds. Again, this is found in Numbers chapter 21. You can read all about it. Okay, And Jesus says to Nicodemus, I am like that bronze serpent mm -hmm. in the midst of terrifying things he says people can look to me and know that they will be okay and that's an interesting way to think about salvation i think because jesus does not promise to take away the terrifying things he doesn't promise that he will keep people from getting hurt. You notice that? In the story from Numbers, the bronze snake, the like the snake statue or whatever, it does not scare away all of these slithering poisonous snakes that are everywhere and they're attacking everyone. 
And the bronze snake does not actually protect people from being bitten. You know, it's just a help that people can turn to when they get bitten. Mm -hmm. So if Jesus is like that, <laughs> he's saying that people can turn to him in the midst of crisis and calamity, that people can turn to him in the midst of violence and viciousness. And as they look to him, they can trust that come what may, no matter what. No matter what they get bitten by, um, they will be able to arise and be restored on the other side of it. Okay, so that's Jesus, the bronze snake. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this, the second ancient story that Jesus brings up in his conversation with Nicodemus is actually referenced in the verse that is so well known to so many people today, right? Um, John 3.16. In this verse, in John 3.16, Jesus says that God so loved the world that he gave his son. This verse is a reference to an ancient story about Abraham, the primordial ancestor of the Jewish people and the father of the faith. If Jesus spoke to anybody he met and he mentioned a father giving his son, anybody that Jesus told this story, said this to would automatically think of this story. In the book of Genesis, God establishes a covenant with Abraham, promises to protect him and promises to make a great nation. Of Abraham's descendants. But there is a shocking and for me quite haunting part of this very long story in which God commands Abraham to sacrifice, to kill his son Isaac, who is a child. Obviously, the command to kill a child is horrific on its own, but it would also mean the destruction of the lineage that God has promised to Abraham. So it is, it is not just the horror of a, of a, a, you know, the command to lose to that would end up losing the child, but it would be, um, it would be the destruction of the covenant itself. Okay, so this is a stunning, and soul crushing command from God. But in the story. Abraham appears to be prepared to do it. He, he, he basically sets out to carry out this command. But at the last mo moment, before he actually does it, God stops him and he doesn't do it. Okay? But he was ready in this story to give his son. Now, for thousands of years, religious scholars and thinkers have theorized and argued about what this story means. Uh, I do not want to say that I have a definitive explanation for what it means. Um, but the questions we wrestle with when we think about that story is, is basically, why would God command such a thing? What was being tested in this story? What is being proven? Like, what is being illuminated? What was the point? 
of this and related what about the lasting trauma <laughs> of this uh, experience and the trauma for Isaac the trauma for Abraham it's a very disturbing story <laughs> and uh, I'm not comfortable with the story and I don't jump to any conclusions about what people who read Genesis are supposed to think about it all I want to say though for now is that when Jesus speaks to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John and he refers to this ancient story about Abraham and the father giving his son Jesus reverses the roles yep he flips around the dynamic of the covenant and the orientation of the devotion okay so in Genesis the father is a person a man who is called upon commanded right and he he is instructed to give that which is most precious to him and to give it to God but in the gospel the father the parent is God the principal question then is not how devoted how giving how faithful is a person or a people to God the essential question is uh, not how much do we love God. The essential question is how much does God love people? How much is God willing to give for us? Mm -hmm. And Jesus says that God loves the world so much so much that he would give his son he would give his son to lift up the broken and bring good news to the poor yeah. he would give his son to share the power of forgiveness and the path of reconciliation he would give his son to confront the powerful and proclaim the demands of justice he would give his son to be a help that people can turn to when fearful things are all around. He would send his son okay, to invite people into a love that has no beginning and no end, just like the wind. God would send his son to help people experience a new birth another birth into new life eternal there is no condemnation in this love by which god sends his son there's only peace no condemnation only healing no condemnation only redemption and it's a promise to us friends you and me it's a promise to us whether we're gathered in confidence with a great crowd in the light of day or whether we're whispering to Jesus questions from our troubled hearts in the middle of the night thanks be to God amen thanks for listening everyone for more podcasts 
blog post, or to make a financial gift, visit thetablequc.com. Have a blessed day.